This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and if today's intro doesn't sound as quite as enthusiastic or energetic as usual, there's a good reason for that. But first, let's hear a message from our sponsor, Napa Autotech Training. Are you tired of searching for trained technicians? If so, let Napa Autotech help you build a technician with their Build-A-Tech program, kind of like Build-A-Bear. These three-day courses cover one of four individual topics, brakes, electrical, steering and suspension, or HVAC through a combination of classroom lecture, hands-on, and utilizing training mock-ups. Visit NapaAutotech.com. So yeah, I have to record one of these types of episodes again far too soon. If you haven't heard, really industry legend Jim Linder has passed away. And that's no abuse of the word legend. Certain words get overused or uh, used very, very optimistically. Legend being one of them, stalwart being one of them, superstar, all these complimentary ones will stick We'll stick with the complimentary ones instead of the derogatory ones because those get abused as well. Jim Linder was the uh, owner of Linder Technical Services that provided, I think most notably provided fuel injector services, reconditioning, cleaning, uh, flow testing, flow matching. I mean, very, very popular, at least through the 90s and say 2000s through, I don't know. I hate to throw a number on it. Let's let's kind of go with somewhere between like 2012, 2015, somewhere in there. I know that's a pretty wide breadth, but going with it, they're extremely popular, did a lot of business, had an injector lab with a bunch of ultrasonic cleaning machines, flow benches. If memory serves, there's between eight to 10 of these machines, as well as a large ultrasonic bath. Or, or VAT that they would use not just for injectors, more almost primarily more so for the injector rails. There's some fuel injector rails that had kind of flaking, I hate to say rust, but we'll just say like flaking issues in, internally that would then clog up screens or injector baskets. So we're talking port fuel uh, injectors. Yeah, they had come up with a solution for Maltex. So the first version of the Maltec fuel injectors that I remember being in GM 2.8 liter VIN W and 3.1 liter VIN T. If memory serves, I think that some of them were used in the quad force. They had a issue with going very low impedance or quote unquote shorting internally. I, I think the Maltecs were also used in 3100 and 3300s. Now, now that I think about it, I guess I bring that up, not so much that it's important to know what these were in, but that they were in uh, a lot of vehicles that this was a a big issue. Drivability concerns, cutting out. They tripped up a lot of techs early on uh, because what would happen is there'd be a complaint of rough running, missing, cutting out. Injectors might be on towards the bottom of your list. And if you started checking them, you would check them with an ohm meter. And many of you know my position on ohm meters. If you test something with an ohm meter and it tests bad, it's probably bad. But if you test something using an ohm meter and it's good, it might still be bad. 
And that would happen with these. By the time you get the plenums lifted, the engine may have cooled off just enough, or the injectors, more importantly, would cool off just enough that they would pass a resistance test. They'd usually be specified to be around 12.5 to maybe 13.5 ohms. Kent Moore came out with a tester that would load test, unplug the injector, plug this into the injector, and uh, use your voltmeter. And there would be specifications. And you'd do this test a few times. I think you'd recommend it to do it three times in a row. Get that good injector good and hot. And you could sometimes see where they test good, test good, and then not test good at all. And why this is important for Linders, Tech, and Jim is that they found through their flow bench and flow testing a Bosch injector that physically would fit and into the rail and into the intake, if you will, as well as flow very close to the same amount of fuel. And they did not have the uh, low impedance issue. They wouldn't short. So these became like a permanent fix. And you could order this set from lenders and they would even give it a lifetime warranty. And it was a little more expensive than replacing with the Multex, but the Multex would fail. Eventually they would fail. And so that became a very popular repair, as well as he had kits for replacing fuel pressure regulators on the central port fuel injectors, the uh, GM spiders, if you will, and just became a really, really good resource. And he also hosted kind of a group, if you will, small group, local group to come in and maybe they'd have a problem child vehicle or else they would just kind of put on a presentation for diagnostics. So, so it was small training. Jim was very heavily involved in IATN, started putting on week-long training called guru classes. And that a limited number of people could sign up. You would start Monday morning at his shop on Gasoline Alley, literally just outside of Indianapolis Speedway. I think the village or town that the shop was in was Speedway. That was the name of it. I think the first few classes going through there would be taught by Jim himself. And I'm pretty sure Randy Dillman. And then Mac Vandebrink, who is another legend that we don't talk enough about and deserves his own episode. Mr. Vandebrink would do the portion of the class on ignition. And that's what he was well known for and for good reason. Part of the class would also be a trip to the Indianapolis Speedway Museum and often a trip around the track in a tour bus. And during this week, you were well fed, not only with uh, information and training, but also food. The class presenter lineup changed. Uh, Mr. Vandebrink was succeeded by uh, John Thornton. There's just so much and he meant so very much, I think, not, not I think, I know, not just me, to this profession. Uh, I would have found him on the internet, IATN. He would regularly respond on the forums. As I started to work more in the shop, the internet became more of a thing, meaning like searching and stuff. So we didn't really have Google, Yahoo, oddly enough. Another thing called InfoSeek. Ask Jeeves, some other stuff, were the search engines. And I remember searching for 
stuff about low amp current probes because I had read an article in Underhood Service Magazine by none other than John Thornton, which I kept uh, on my toolbox at the ready. I don't know how many times I read that article he wrote, but I, re I read it over and over and over. I had it memorized and I wanted to search more about current probes. Uh, I found a currentprobe.com website by Jeff Bach, and then I found LinderTech. Jim had articles on the LinderTech website about uh, ignition, fuel injection, using a scope, scoping voltage, and he had low amp current probe stuff. So I was just eating that stuff up. So now I was kind of familiar with the name. I even emailed him once about recommended lab scopes, rep recommended current probes. I also had emailed John Thornton, which uh, I think was the beginning of uh, a friendship. And when uh, John came to do the first of his classes in Minnesota, which is a different story for a different time, in some of our visitings, he suggested that I try very hard to get into the guru class, which I did. I'm pretty sure I went in 2004, flew down to Indianapolis, first time on an airplane. I took ATA, flew into Chicago, and then took a puddle jumper to Indianapolis. Met a few people in the class, got to meet Randy Dillman, who I had read some of his articles in the LinderTech flyer, that monthly flyer that would have their specials in there, but also an article, maybe a case study. I very much look forward to that. Michelle Wynn. Uh, when she kind of took over for Randy's position as he moved on, I very much look forward to reading hers, maybe a, a note, maybe even a case study from Jim himself. And yeah, I, I got to finally meet the man himself, listen to his presentations and his sense of humor. I don't know. You know, he's, I'm from Minnesota, so Indiana, Indiana sounds really Southern to me. Yeah, Southern hospitality, just, yeah, feeling very welcome. Randy Dillman did the scope portion, intro to oscilloscopes. I went and grabbed a Tektronix scope. Kind of right away caught his eye a little bit. Checked on me a few times to see if I knew what I was doing. And I would say I had no idea, but I did know how to set up the scope. So I was good to go there. Didn't much care for the flukes, uh, fluke scopes. They had the Pico scope hidden, which would it would have been difficult in that situation to use with the table and the way they had the signals run to us to get a laptop screen. The Pico scope at the time needed a 12-volt source, so you could plug that into the wall or to a 12-volt battery at the time. So that would have been kind of rough. It would have been great to use, but I used it later on uh, on vehicle and got my first taste of a Pico using a Pico 5 software. Kind of feeling like... Was led into that world a little bit, got to banter with them, got to banter with Michelle. I, I went on to Guru 2, which is probably a couple of years later, and then Guru 3. These were not week-long classes. These were weekend. But Guru 2 would have was really focused on graphing scan tools. That That's really what it was all about. And you had presenters for the Tech 2 and the Tech 2 graphed a little bit on screen, but where it really shined was that you would, could capture and upload it to a PC and graph, and then uh, did a much, much nicer job. More flexibility. IDS was just kind of starting to be a thing. Ease was a scan tool that was quite powerful back in the day. Graphing was second to none 
maybe even still is second to none just for some examples but it was very big focused very much on scan tools and graphing scan tools and then guru 3 was just another step up we talked about some european stuff randy dillman at the time was working for a independently or an independent european specialty shop that was owned by somebody that owned a european dealership so we had a lot of access that was terrific and jim was just kind of the 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 hub for all that and then came the the conferences the lender conferences for 98 years the napa name has meant quality parts and service it also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business no doubt the technician shortage is impacting everyone but you're not facing this battle alone napa has the solution by making napa auto tech training available near you Napa Autotech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor's skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa Autotech training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa Autotech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa Autotech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa Autotech offers, contact NapaAutotech.com. I did not go to the first one, maybe not even the second one. This would have to be around 2005. So just to set this up a little bit, the the Linder conference that I went to was held in a uh, firefighter training building. And I'm sure they had the buildings that they set on fire outside, but this was really like a huge classroom inside that classroom. And I'm talking like a, a large, almost hall with a bunch of tables and chairs and at the front a small raised stage and of course a large screen projector screen i think they could fit oh maybe three four hundred people in there and there's enough room outside of the tables kind of a ring if you will for the vendors to set up booths and then when you went to these conferences you'd be given a bingo card it looked like a bingo card and the purpose was that you would go and spend some time with each one of the vendors and then the vendor would stamp your card and you would turn in a stamped card to get like a token and you could use this token to go into one of those old not bumblegum machines but like the, the the ones with the prizes in them you'd stick the token in there twist the knob and you'd get a little plastic cup or whatever with a prize in it well the prizes in these was a small ticket with a number on it and then of course on the back they would write what your prize is and there would be books that Jim helped write helped author uh, an inflatable fuel injector, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, just an assortment of prizes. But also in those prizes was a chance 
to become part of, I think it was Saturday night. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Saturday night entertainment, which was technicians Jeopardy or Techerty. So there was four of these tickets and they said Techerty on the back. Somehow, some way, I was one of them that pulled the, one of the Techerty tickets and I got to go exactly where I did not want to be in front of 300 people answering questions. Luckily, the questions were all centered very much on what we were being taught to the point of you could, I could identify the questions by who the instructor was. At one point was even asking for the categories by the instructor's name rather than what the category was. So for an example, there's a J2534, and this is really early, early on J2534. Randy Dillman did a class on J2534. Instead of saying J2534 for 500, I would say Randy Dillman for 500. My first chance to answer a question, I knew the answer, except I overthought it and I got it wrong. Question written or written to the class presented by John Anello, Auto Tech on Wheels, mobile technician. One of the very first automotive diagnostic and programming techs, and, and he was kind of in the Jersey area. And he did a class kind of on stuff he ran into. And the, it was on freaking uh, coolant temp sensor and negative coefficient. And I knew the answer and I overthought it and I got it wrong. And that was probably the best thing for me and the worst thing for the competition because I don't think I allowed them to select a question. And I hit all the daily doubles to the point where by the third round, mathematically I couldn't lose. So the third round, I was trying to be nice. It probably looked like I was being a jerk. I really was just trying to be nice. I let them have the first crack every time just because the score was absurd. I was in the thousands. I think it's 5,000 and they are all around zero or negative. I could not lose. And the prizes were, which I know all this sounds like just me talking about me, and really, I have a, a reason for this. Uh, the prizes weren't set up where first prize is this, second prize is this. There were four prizes, and if you won, you got first pick. If you came in second, you got second pick, and so on. And there's four of us. And I went up there with the end, just kind of in the back of my head, I need to come in at least second. Because the prizes were, it was still Vitronic, so it was badged Vitronics. Uh, MTS 5200, which would be the same as the Bosch 5200, 4-channel lab scope, handheld, a 4-channel Picoscope kit. The I think it was this, we, would, we would call it a standard kit. So inside it had first-generation 4-channel USB-powered Picoscope, 3423 for those of you keeping the score at home. It had a low-amp current probe, high-amp current probe, capacitive leads, some attenuators. After that, there was a... At the Actia J2534 interface, pro arguably probably the first of its kind that, I, that I'm aware of. There's, maybe there's others, but that was the first of its kind that I'm aware of. And then the fourth prize was a one-week training with Jim for free for, with the Linder Technical Services. In my mind was I need to come in second place to try to get that Pico. Very little interest in the 5200. If I'd have got that, I'd have tried to sell it to get a Pico. I had a MTS 5100. I really liked it for three months. 
and then it started to fall apart. I like the four channels, but really started to run into issues with aliasing. Also, the way the ground was of the scope, so the scope ground for the test leads was shared with the battery charging. And if you didn't know that, you could create some interesting problems with ground loops. Maybe this is a story for another day, one I definitely have told. So my intent was, I just, I got to come in second. If I can come in second, I'm probably got a good chance of getting that Pico. And that's what I wanted. I know the general consensus of the room, about 300 technicians in there, the consensus was first place was going to be that 5,200. Anyways, I won and I got first dibs and I walked over and I picked up that Pico. It's one of those things where you probably had to be there to hear the not even so much a groan, but like just the air went out of the room when I picked that up. I, The shock is just this, oh, however many people, I don't know if it was all 300, but a lot of them in sync all at the same time did that. You could see this older round gentleman, Jim Linder, in the back, leap out of his chair and sprint over to the Vitronics booth where one of his former employees who is now was kind of a big shot with them was residing also in shock that somebody had grabbed the Pico over his 5200. And that was Jim. Jim shot over there. He thought that was the greatest thing he had ever seen. It was so funny. And it's in the back of the room. Nobody's watching the back of the room. So those of us in front got to, got to see it if we were paying attention. And those paying attention was probably the host of this Techerty, Jeff Masterman, uh, retired now from Standard Motor Products and also really one of those guys we should be having an episode like this for while he's still around and hopefully he's going to be around a long time enjoying his retirement. Uh, I have no reason to believe otherwise, but I'm kind of tired of doing these episodes after the fact, after they've passed away and don't get to hear them. But uh, yeah, Jim sprinted over, rubbed it in his face. That event kind of changed, I think, the relationship I had with Jim. I wouldn't say we were very tight or anything like that, but definitely first name basis is somebody I could call up on the phone, uh, have a 15, 20 minute shoot the breeze conversation with, could email back and forth, which I did not as much as I should have, I suppose, in retrospect. But yeah, I, I got to do that. And then run into him at other conferences when I started working for Pico. So that set forth a chain of events that afforded me and allowed me some great, great experiences in life, meeting people. The way that guy has affected me personally is almost impossible to put into words. How he affected the industry, just known for Auto Week out in Las Vegas, which would be Apex and SEMA and then Cars. I would say not so much SEMA, but definitely Apex. And at the end of the week, you would have CARS, the Congress of Automotive Repair. It was a big, a fairly big event. And Jim and his crew would usually rent a house out there before it was popular with Airbnb and have parties with food and fun. And uh, there's a really good photo on IETN of, I'll probably forget who was all there, but for sure, Jim, Linder, Randy Burnclaw. And I don't know if I dare try to recall the other two that were sitting there, but talk about the meeting of the minds. Yeah, he he brought a lot of us together, unwittingly. (laughs) 
but a lot of us met a lot of my friends a lot of the people in my circle if you will met at a lender event or as a direct result of jim lender so guys like ryan coyman honestly dan baumhart that's where i first met dan was at guru Two. dan went to a third year kind of drivability diagnostic focused course in minnesota 10 years before i did and he knew john thornton fairly well i was getting to know john thornton and john's kind of like hey i i, I think i know somebody that went there a good friend of mine guru too he got to really introduce us face to face one of my very best friends along with ryan coyman eric ziegler this is where we met bob hype and i met going to vision but uh, at lenders is where we would a lot of times get a chance to hang out aaron keppen just so many people wow that's where i first met scott manna man this list could keep going on I don't want to leave people out, but also we could just keep going on. Good times, I'm telling you. It was not uncommon. In fact, I think it was standard that you were going to be up extremely late in the hotel parking lot with some battery of diagnostic tools hooked up to various vehicles and test-driven to <laughs> in various uh, states and also varying load. <laughs> So yeah, two in the morning, got class in the morning at eight. We're out there. What would happen if we did this? What would happen if we did that? Uh, it's just, just such a good time. Such a good time. Jim kind of created all that, not just himself, but also built this crew around him. And that was, I think, important to him was that that place ran because of the people he put around him. And he, I think he took a lot of pride in that. Yeah, I, I think... This is yet another reason to start um, bombing through IATN if you can. If you have a subscription to it, make use of that. And if you don't, there may still be free subs. If there is, I, I definitely would do that and try to search them. Although I think a lot of times the free versions don't let you search. So it might be worth a little bit of money and time to just become a temporary member and search read through some of his posts, read through other people talking about him and what he's done, what he meant to them. Because there's people like him, people like Steve Brotherton, people like Mac Vanderbrink, they deserve to be remembered as long as we can, to, to stave off that second death as long as we can. They've died once, but they're physically, but their memory is still very, very much alive. And it's kind of sad to to see the eminent second death where they get forgotten about. I mean, it's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. And hopefully conversations like these, the stuff we put out like this and other forms, be it be forums or podcasts or magazine articles that they're, that these people can kind of stay alive through generations uh, as, as much as we can. I, I owe Jim a, a great great debt of gratitude, one that I hope I was good about conveying to him long ago even. And the last conversation I had with him was, wow, I suppose a month and a half ago when I was looking for a distributor machine, emailed him. And of course, they're a hot commodity, tough to find. He put me in touch with somebody that uh, fixes them up, sells them. And of course, they didn't have any they wished me a lot of luck, but if I did find one that they could probably help me 
fix it up and get it up and going. And then by craziness, a couple of weeks later, I found one. <laughs> I don't know how that stuff works, but it looks nice. I still don't know how it works, but cross that bridge. But I, I kind of was looking forward to maybe visiting Jim with it and, or at least something like it and learning a little bit about it, learning a little bit about distributor curving or recurving. But yeah, that's not going to happen anymore. It was important to me to record this, at least try to convey how important he was to so many that for a, quite a while he was on the forefront of diagnostics and training and, and really like quality training. Uh, one thing, at least early on, his books, if, if you went to one of his training events, I don't think anyone had books as good as he did. The, the quality of print, they didn't smear or smudge. Uh, so you got the you got a book with all the classes in them. And granted, all the classes were in one room, so you were all taking the same class. A lot like big event that G puts on. And then you would get a pen, pen with a highlighter on the back on one end and pen on the other for note-taking. So classy. Made you feel good about training. Made you feel good about getting there and whatever the amount of money was those books are going to last. They do last. How important it was for him to do that stuff, to have good food there. They, they didn't really cheap out. A lot of times he was doing the cooking. Uh, I'm not kidding you. A lot of times he was doing the cooking. God darn it. He could have lived to be 200 and it would have been too soon. So if, yeah, I am going to wrap this up with just imploring you to, if you can, check out uh, some of the old forums on IATN and familiarize yourself with them. And if you think of it, familiarize yourself with Mac Vandebrink, Steve Brotherton, if you haven't already. And those are just three off the top of my head. I'm, I'm sure there's so many more, but those, those are three that pop into my head directly kind of linked Steve because just did an episode about him. Mac having done some work with Jim Linder. So yeah, thank you for listening. I mean, hopefully next time we can be a little more upbeat. If you have any uh, ideas or want to be on the podcast, please don't hesitate to give me a shout. You can email me at mattfonslapodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on social media. Thank you to Nap Auto Tech Training for making this all possible and the Aftermarket Radio Network, Carmen Tracy for all the work they do behind the scenes to uh, make this sound as good as it possibly can. And so, yeah, until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.